This is Toronto Today on TSN 1050, the voice of Toronto sports. Do it! Hot dogs, armor hot dogs. Sing it like you mean it! What kinds of kids eat armor hot dogs? I won't rest until I've gotten a hot dog. Homer, this is a cemetery. Hot dogs! Get your hot dogs here! Woohoo! What do you do? Follow my husband around? Lady, he's putting my kids to college. But you know what does bother me? You know what makes me really sick to my stomach? What? It's watching you stuff your face with those hot dogs. Nobody, I mean nobody, puts ketchup on a hot dog. Thank you, Dirty Harry Callahan, for that. It's uh, one minute after 12 o'clock. This is Trump today on TSN 1050. I was waiting for music under that. I was, I, I was kind of thrown by the end of that. Narsa, you threw me under the bus. There was I no expected music. music as well. Oh, so now you just threw Scrizz under the bus. So now I'm going to throw him out of the room. <laughs> we uh, just passed the blame. We have to. Uh, That's the way it works. I, I, since I'm, I'm used to music coming in. It's, I don't know. It, just, it sounded a little long. Uh, it, is, it is Toronto Today. I'm Mike Hogan in for Gareth Wheeler. And apparently, and it must be true because it's on Twitter, hashtag National Hot Dog Day. There are a few things that just make me shake my head more than these faux national days to raise awareness for a product. And it kind of takes away from, oh, I don't know, International Literacy Day, right? Something that is actually legitimate. And you know there are some people who see this. And if they're in the United States, odds are they voted for Donald Trump, who see this and go, oh, it's National Hot Dog Day. Do we get the day off? Is is this a holiday? I have two don'ts of uh, have hot eating dog a etiquette? hot dog. I have hot dog etiquette, if okay. you'd like some. Uh, it, it, we've gone this far. Well, in Canada, this is probably a tough one. Don't use ketchup on your hot dog I after agree. the age of 18. I See, Dirty Harry was right. I am with, oh, I, And I'm, I'm pro-ketchup. Don't get me wrong. I put ketchup on hamburgers, ketchup on french fries, depending on the french fry. Sometimes I like a, different things on french fries. But usually... Your garden variety French fry. I love ketchup. Not on the hot dog. No. See, I like the ketchup on the hot dog. Why? I don't know. It's just just something natural to me. I just throw... You just said that over the age of... What did you say? Eight? Eighteen. Eighteen. You should not be putting hot dog uh, uh, ketchup on a hot dog. You just said that. Not just ketchup, but if there's other things with it, what's wrong with that? You just no. That's not you. That's did not the say etiquette. That. That's not me. That's what the legal etiquette is telling you to do. There is no legal etiquette it's for eating hot dogs, much like there is no national www.hotdog- sorry hot-dog.org. It's an org, which means an organization. <laughs> so it must be true. Exactly. And there's a hashtag, and it says national. So it must be true. Okay, so that's one piece of etiquette that you have. I, I, I don't this know why I'm doing this, though. but I'm going to do it anyway. What's what's another piece of hot dog eating etiquette? It says, don't take more than five bites to finish a hot dog. For a foot long, it's Ooh. okay Ooh. to take seven bites. That is acceptable. No, somebody actually took the time to figure this out. Yes. And now I know what everybody is doing right now. They're going, how many bites do I take when I eat a hot dog? Exactly. There's a video too, no guys. I, I have no idea. I, I I wouldn't even think about that. But then, how and, thick is the bun? And I hope, for the life of me, that the next time I have a hot dog, whether it be a regular size or a sausage or a foot long, that I'm not counting my bites. 
I hope, and if I do, if that comes into my head at all, I'm coming after you. I'm going to beat you with a foot-long hot dog and a stale hot dog bun. It's going to happen. And I will squirt you with ketchup. You will be covered in ketchup because you are doing that to a poor, innocent, defenseless hot dog. I will do it to you. Ketchup on a hot dog and counting how many bites? Really? Hot dog etiquette? Really? But Matt Cause today said a hot dog was a sandwich, so it must be true. If Cause is listening, he will be on the phone in about three seconds. Uh, coming up on the program today, in the last hour of Toronto today, uh, we will be joined by Paul Masati, who uh, for, a, for a few years was the leading uh, receiver in Argo history, Mookie Mitchell, uh, ended up breaking his records, but uh, Paul's still in the area. He'll be a big part of the uh, celebration of the 96 and 97 Grey Cup uh, teams. Doug Flutie's coming up. He will be honored as an all-time Argo. That goes Monday night, uh, Flutie bobblehead night. Uh, and there are uh, ticket deals aplenty to be had. Uh, so if you go to argonauts.ca, you will find that. First up, though, we'll talk about uh, the team that until this year was, or until last year, uh, was sort of the uh, the housemate of the Toronto Argonauts, or vice versa, the Toronto uh, Blue Jays, and down in Boston to check out the Jays and the Red Sox for the Athletic T.O., Israel Ferris on the line. How are you doing, Israel? Mike, I'm good. Thanks for having me on. Uh, a pleasure, absolutely. Uh, you sound a little groggy. Late night for you? <laughs> <laughs> it was uh, It was a long one, that's for sure. Uh, rain delay didn't help, but uh, even if they had started uh, at the right time, I think that would have been a game that uh, definitely stretched past midnight. So uh, a long one, and if I'm feeling this way, I can only imagine how, how the players are feeling after that one. The good thing is, if you get a 15-inning game, you want sort of subplots within the extra innings, and there were several. There were there was a ton of weird stuff that happened in that game. Yeah. Uh, in the extra innings, definitely, and then even just in the regular, uh, the, the, the nine, uh, there was a, a bunch of weird stuff that were... Of course, had a lot of time to talk about it during the game, and every time we could add something to the list of, uh, of I mean, just off the top of my head, uh, there were a couple plays on the base pass with Troy Tulowitzki that were a little bit strange. Yeah. Uh, there was that bunt that was popped over Josh Donaldson's head. Yeah. Uh, you've got uh, Mike Bolsinger striking out four people in one inning. Mm-hmm. So it was uh, that's just the tip of the iceberg. It was uh, it was a, a strange game all around. You're bound to get. Uh, a couple of those uh, every season. It does seem that it happens a lot when uh, when the Jays take on the Red Sox, and uh, for the for them to lose that game is definitely uh, a tough one, kind of in the, the the micro sense of it. For those who missed it, uh, Tulowitzki hits a lazy fly ball to uh, left field um, that bounces off the wall. It bounces over the head of Benintendi, the left fielder, who decoys. Um, Tulowitzki by making it look like he's got the ball as he's kind of uh, two-stepping toward the ball where he picks it up and Tulowitzki's still glued to first base. Do you give more credit to Benintendi for pulling the sucker job on, on Tulowitzki, or do you blame uh, all involved on the Blue Jays side for making sure that he didn't get to second base? I mean, I think in kind of uh, the small sense, the, the Benintendi quick on his feet when he realized that Tulowitzki wasn't paying attention is kind of a nice bonus, but that is only possible because Tulowitzki admitted postgame that he, he had his head down rounding the base. He didn't think that he got enough of that ball uh, and uh, maybe forgot that he was playing at Fenway and he hit that one down the line. It's, it's 310 down the line, so even if he didn't get a lot of it, 
in, in other parks that would be a lazy fly ball at Fenway. That's a ball that's going to go off the monster. And for, for whatever reason, he, uh, I mean, he, he was running hard, but he was running with his head down and looked up. Ben and Cindy realized that he could take advantage of that situation. So, yeah, he faked that he had the ball in his glove as he chased after the ball that whacked off the wall and was able to, to hold Tulowitzki to that single. And then when later on, Tulowitzki gets thrown out trying to take that extra base so i mean it's really been a a theme with the blue jays this year maybe even going back to last year they just they haven't been uh and i mean this is a bit of an extreme example but they haven't been a team that's had the ability to to take those extra bases so it's either turning a single into a double or or going first to third or, or even i mean in the very rare cases where they've had the opportunity to go first to home they they probably are the worst team in, in baseball at doing that. And some of that no. is just personnel. They don't have a ton of guys with a with big speed, and and some of that uh, has to just go on on some of the some of the awareness. And when you're a team that doesn't have that speed, and you you have to you just have to take advantage of those those opportunities and at, at least test the arm there. And I mean, he didn't have the ball either, so he would have been uh, especially running hard out of the box there. He he would have been. Um, have, he would been clean at second without without a problem in my eyes. So that was a that was a tough play in a, in a game where they had a, a bunch of them. Russell Martin got nicked up last night. Were you surprised he stayed in the game? No, not surprised. Just because that's that's sort of Russell Martin's thing. He, Still, he'll yeah. get dinged up and and he, he doesn't want to come out. That was a, a pretty straight shot to the hand, though. Uh, so I, I would imagine that uh, today would be. The test, uh, and they'll have a decision to make with a day game on on Thursday. There's, he's either going to sit out tonight or, or, or sit out tomorrow, and the decision they're going to have to make is that uh, Boston's got a lefty on the mound. Miguel Montero hits from the left side. If Martin's hand is a little dinged up, uh, maybe you you sit him. But then of course Francisco Liriano, who by all indications will be good to go for Thursday, is a guy that's always thrown very well to Russ. So. Uh, a couple of little decisions here for, for John Gibbons and his staff to make in terms of what they do a catcher today, tomorrow, and, and Russ's hand. Uh, and if it's a little dinged up, if it's a little swollen, may play into that. Israel Fair joining us from Boston from the Athletic T.O. He's there for the Red Sox and the Blue Jays. I'm glad you mentioned Bolsinger in the four strikeout inning, but that wasn't all. Like, he pitched really well last night. Uh, a hell of a way uh, to end it as uh, the Ramirez home run I don't think has come down yet. Uh, but aside from the one mistake, boy, he pitched really well last night. That's as good as I've seen him. That's as good as John Gibbons has seen him. Uh, he was really locating his fastball, and he said post game, and he said that it's obvious if you watch the game, he's not a guy that's going to light up the radar gun. But his command on his fastball was really good. He was sticking sticking it on the outside corner, and, and really his his bread and butter pitch is that curveball, and he, he was spinning that curveball pretty good and working in a slider with a with a different kind of spin as well. But uh, hung one a little bit to, to Ramirez, and that guy is a. A guy that, uh, when given the opportunity, has the ability to to hit balls very, very far. We we saw that last night, and yeah, a, a rough way for for Bullsinger to to get the loss there because you, you need anytime you get a guy that can give you three innings in a in a extra inning game, and when you only had one guy left in the bullpen after that, uh, deserved a, a little bit better fate uh, than than he got. Uh, and I mean, the four strikeouts are nice, but. Also, one of them comes on a, on a wild pitch, yeah. so it could have been, I mean, even cleaner. Uh, and that's just a, a testament to, to how he, he was on. And in a difficult spot, I don't think there's any any pitcher in baseball that really ramps themselves up before a game with the idea that, look, I'm going to be needed here for three or four yeah. innings. And 
uh, I got to put zeros up against a, a Red Sox lineup that, while they aren't putting up runs like they did last season, uh, they have a uh, quite a few dangerous hitters that can break out at any time. We saw the uh, the dominoes continue to fall last night. We now know what the Yankees are thinking about for the postseason. Uh, we know what Detroit and and Oakland and Chicago White Sox are doing. Certainly in the American League, have we figured out yet who the Jays are? I think. Uh, we'll know for sure by the end of this series, and there's the potential that this this Chris Sale getting pushed back to Friday might factor in it. Slightly, oh, I, I hadn't I heard mean, that. When did, when did that? When was that announced? Uh, I guess Monday. Oh, okay. uh, I had not heard. Okay, Monday. man, I yes. I completely yes. missed that. Okay. I mean, there was a, there's a ton of J stuff going on uh, the last couple of days, so it was it was kind of slipped in there that they just they just want to give Sale some rest. He threw almost 120 pitches in his last start, and uh, maybe they just don't fear the Blue Jays that much, so they yeah. uh, they go with uh, they they'll push Sale back and they'll have him pitch on Friday. So that's a nice benefit for the Blue Jays, and if they can take advantage of that. Great, but I, I do think kind of on the whole, uh, we see this team right now as as being at best, if if all the parts are are going uh, as a 500 team, that they don't have that record, and some of that has to do with Aaron Sanchez missing a bunch of time and, yeah. and Josh Donaldson missing time and being a little up and down since he's been back. He's he's been battling a little bit, and I wouldn't be surprised at all if he's also banged up. And uh, it's just uh, I do think that they're they're in a tough spot because their pending free agents aren't. Uh, have, they're not lighting the world on fire by any means. Marco Estrada struggled of late. Francisco Liriano has as well. Jose Bautista has been fine in the leadoff spot. He's getting on base, uh, but his his power is nowhere near what it used to be. And those would be the guys that, if you are interested in, in selling, would be the the ideal ideal target. So it's, it's going to be a really interesting couple of weeks for this team, and not, definitely not just on the field, but what the front office is thinking and. Once they make their first move, we'll, we'll definitely know yeah. the direction that they're headed in, whether it be trying to retool a little bit for next season or if they've got maybe 2019 in mind uh, in terms of what they decide to do with their moves. From what you've been able to find from your sources and just a gut feeling, what do you think the Jays do? Do you think it's just some minor tinkering, some minor unloading? Do you think that they add a player or two, or, or, or will they uh, decide if the time is right that it's time to revamp this team? I think if the opportunity presents itself where they could add a player that is under control for next season, and if there are seasons beyond that, even better, uh, that they are willing to to be creative in that respect, they're not going to trade off from the top of their their farm system or their top prospects, but they do have some interesting people that uh, that are some interesting players in the minor leagues that could intrigue teams uh, if they're looking to, to get some major league talent because I, I do think they believe that their core, uh, at least the top end of their core, is is pretty strong. Uh, but at the same point, I think we look at the Chicago White Sox are a good example of this. They just traded off Chris Sale in the offseason. They just traded off Jose Quintana and now made this move with the Yankees, moving uh, a couple of good relievers and, and a third baseman who at times has been a, a very productive player. And they've been nowhere near contention the last couple of years. So mm-hmm. uh, even with with that base, that, that that doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to to be a contender. Uh, the White Sox have completely rebuilt the top end of their farm system with these moves, and uh, it's going to be. I think it's going to be fascinating to see what this team decides to do. And I, I 
I would be more inclined to say that if anything big happens, that it will be in the off season, and that they'll they'll look to be creative and take advantage of maybe some market inefficiencies here at the deadline before really kind of uh, grouping themselves, putting themselves together, and, and really making a run with whatever direction they decide to go uh, in the off season. Sanchez Pomerantz tonight. What do you expect out of Aaron Sanchez? I thought he was he was really good on Friday. Yeah. Uh, I thought that was one of those games where early on maybe a little bit amped up, uh, but really settled in and looked like the guy that we were used to seeing last year. I have no reason to to expect that he can't be something close to that uh, again today. And so uh, that's that's the guy that they need for this team if they're going to have any shot of, of making any sort of run. And it's going to have to to be a big run at this point because the, the, the games are, are, I mean, not dwindling yet, but we are headed toward that deadline, heading toward August, and uh, they, they need uh, the Aaron Sanchez, the, the guy with the three ERA and the guy that can give them six or seven innings every time out if they're going to have any shot of doing it. And doing it against Boston would be a, a big plus right now. Well, I hope for your sake tonight, tonight is a nice, neat two-hour and 45-minute game because you had the marathon last <laughs> night, and I just looked at the, the the probables for tomorrow, not realizing that the sale had been pushed back. It's Francisco Liriano versus Doug Fister. That could be 35 to 34. Like, this could, yeah, it could be, it could be at Fenway Park. Oh, my, that, that could be, you could have a five-hour game. And that also has the potential to the, the, both those guys could be out in the second and the third. Yeah, uh, the way that uh, yeah. whether it's injuries or whether it's uh, it's the fact that one team's put up ten runs in one inning. So yeah, yeah. I mean, if there was going to be a, a night for the game to go long, I guess it was last night because uh, that uh, that turnaround, that night day turnaround, is uh, is is tough. I, I wouldn't uh, want to experience it as a player. I don't think because that would be uh, really taxing on the body. Uh, no rain in the forecast tonight. Or is there? As far as I know, uh, I don't think so. Good. The sun is shining right Beautiful. now. It's, it's real warm. It should be, uh, theoretically, it should be a, a nice night for ball at Fenway. Well, go enjoy the rest of the afternoon uh, in Boston and uh, have fun tonight at Fenway. Appreciate it, Mike. Take Thank care, you. Right? I appreciate it as always. Israel Fair joining us from the Athletic TO. Uh, Boston entertaining the Jays tonight. Um, should be the, I would assume on paper at least, it should be the best of the uh, of the three. Of the four, rather. Um, uh, I didn't realize the sale was pushed back. Doug Fister against Francisco Liriano tomorrow. And I am interested to see what uh, what Sanchez does tonight. Um, the first outing back was not good. The second outing, much, 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 much better. And uh, you know, I know there are some people that are in the camp of, well, you deal him now, and I just don't get that. I mean, what 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 do you want to build around? Do you want to build around young arms? And you have young, controllable arms. You've got him and Stroman. I mean, this, in my books, this is what you build around. This is not what you divest yourself of. Uh, the Asuna thing, I get a little bit more because uh, relievers historically have been a little bit more up and down than most starters. Um, so I understand the theory. But, man, I'm not, it would take a hell of a lot for me to unload one of those three arms. And I, I don't mean just a lot. I mean a hell of a lot. I mean I'm blown away by the offer, because how many times have we seen young player go for a boatload of, uh, of of prospects and none of the prospects pan out? I mean, it happens in that sport more than any other. So uh, I just I don't understand the theory of wanting to part with those, those three specifically. You get a boatload for Donaldson, sign me up. I get it. I complete, I'm completely on board with that if 
uh, you're able to do that. But I'm I'm all about pitching and defense, and uh, I just I just I don't get that, those three names specifically. Two of the three, for sure. Uh, when we come back, among other things, uh, we're going to be joined by Paul Masadi, who is uh, uh, such a big part of those '96 '97 Grey Cup back-to-back winners. He and Doug Flutie really developed a nice chemistry, and. Um, uh, I guess Flutie could say that about most of his receivers, but there was something uh, special between uh, watching Flutie and Masadi connect, and uh, we'll talk to him about that and uh, just that general 1997 team specifically in general as we continue with Toronto today. Hogan in for Wheeler. This is TSN 1050. Twenty-six. This is Toronto Today on TSN 1050. Mike Hogan in uh, for Gareth Wheeler today. Now, Wheels is used to doing this. I'm not. And this is this is error host. But we, we are so lucky. Like, we're lucky because we have Mark Zucchino, we have Bob Weeks as Golf Insiders at TSN. And whenever they appear on the radio station, uh, their appearance is brought to you by Ontario Subaru dealers. Test drive the superior performance of a Subaru today. And like the idiot that I am, I forgot to give the great folks at Subaru the mention in connection with Zucchino's appearance on the radio station. And Mark was great as always. And Weeksy was great yesterday. We mentioned this. But when Mark or Bob are on, they're brought to you by your Ontario Subaru dealers. Again, test drive the superior performance of a Subaru today. And we thank Subaru for being involved with the radio station. It's a great partnership. And uh, I, just, I, just, I just didn't read that one I'm supposed to because I'm an idiot. I'm very appreciative. So, uh, so thanks again to the folks. And I apologize uh, if anybody's listening today. I just did it at the wrong time. Sorry. Uh, let's see. What else do we have coming up? Paul Masati is going to join us at the uh, at the bottom of the hour, and uh, the Argo legend will drop by. And uh, they're getting ready for uh, what should be a fun night on Monday night. The Ottawa Red Blacks in town. Monday night football. Now, there's an idea that could work. Um, but it's the Red Blacks and the Argos on Monday night, and Paul Masadi was such a big part of the, uh, those Argo teams. Um, three Grey Cup rings, if memory, because he was part of the '91 team as well. Uh, we'll talk to Paul about uh, those two teams specifically, and and and, and focus in on uh, a, a couple of very special nights: the the, the Grey Cup finals. One, he was uh, he was named the uh, top Canadian, and there was a pretty special thing that happened after the game was over, and it involves Doug Flutie. So we'll talk to him about that. And, and he also caught a football with his crotch in a championship game. I couldn't make that up. I really couldn't, but he did. And the other Grey Cup final, of course, was the one in the snow at Ivor Wynn, which was just a phenomenal football game. And uh, those were two pretty special teams. Uh, one quick, do we, have to, do we have time for this or do we go? Yeah, okay. I just wanted to, this extra innings, they were long last night, and it was interesting, Dirk Hayhurst was on with the guys in the morning today, and they were talking about how players and relievers specifically feel about long games like that, especially if they've already pitched. And it's like, okay, just let's get this over with, and then if the, if the Red Sox had a home run, fine, let's just go home. If you're in the position where the Jays are right now, uh, but John Brickley from ESPN was on the morning show as well, and he was talking about um, extra inning games, which for some fans is problematic. I'm sure there are folks listening right now that went to bed at midnight or went to bed at eleven o'clock. 
uh, because they had to work early this morning or get up for the for the commute. So I completely understand why they are frustrating. But this is John Brickley on uh, TSN 1050 talking about Major League Baseball fixing extra inning games. Well, it's interesting. Uh, Dave O'Brien probably had the best line last night uh, after they went into the uh, the start of the 15th inning. He says, I never thought I'd say this in twice in four days that we're going to the 15th inning. But uh, I'll tell you, Major League Baseball has to address something with, with this extra inning affair. I mean, think about this, guys. Last night's Cubs-Braves game was delayed by two and a half hours, and it still got completed before the Blue Jays and Red Sox game <laughs> got completed. So that gives you kind of an indication of where extra inning baseball is. Uh, that is uh, John Brickley talking about extra innings. It can be frustrating. There is uh, there is zero question about that. Uh, Jays and Red Sox uh, again tonight, and uh, we'll be all over that. And again, uh, tomorrow on your drive uh, to work or your commute from hell, you can be listening to uh, Naylor and Landsberg in the morning. Uh, Nails has the week off. Matt Cause is in with Michael. Uh, coming up, as mentioned, Paul Massadi will drop by. Uh, he, uh, 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 a big part of the, you know, we, we talk about, uh, players who are Canadian who play in sports other than hockey and make it. And Paul is one of the rarest of ducks because he got a, a shot at the NFL out of Acadia. And that just never happened back in the day. It's, it, it's, it's rare as it is now. Like you get uh, Laurent Tardif Duvernay playing in, uh, in Kansas City with the Chiefs. He's a starting offensive lineman who played at McGill. Um, that's rare. But for any kid from CIS to get an opportunity at the NFL, like Mike Shattuck, Queens, there's a, there's a list probably you could count on two hands who went directly uh, from CIS U Sports now to uh, uh, to the NFL. Um, you know, a lot of Canadians go the NCAA route. It's a little bit tougher uh, to stay in Canada and then go down south. Uh, different style of ball, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, there are a few. So Paul tried that route, came up here, and it was. Uh, it was a pretty successful run for him, to say the least, and it and it happened fairly quickly uh, for some Canadians who have to learn, uh, for some rather Canadians who have to learn the pro game. Um, Paul seemed to fit in pretty quickly in the late '80s, and then uh, won a Grey Cup in '91, and then was such a key component of the '97 and '98 teams uh, that won, and those are, those are the teams that are going to, are going to be honored uh, together. Uh, down at BMO Field on Monday. The Ottawa Red Blacks are in town, and we, of course, will have the game here on TSN 1050. But Flutie's coming up. They're going to make him an all-time Argo. And um, whether you're a fan of the CFL or not, um, whether you're just an NFL type, Doug Flutie was damn entertaining. It was just fun to watch. Um, you know, he kind of broke into the scene. We all, we all, if you're of a certain vintage, became aware of him at Boston College, uh, a team that had done nothing nationally for like 40 years. And then there was the Hail Mary in that phenomenal game against the University of Miami. Uh, Bernie Kosar, I had forgotten about this, but I watched the ESPN Classic game Um probably about five years ago. Hadn't seen it since that game. I had completely forgotten how good Bernie Kosar was, who was the quarterback at Miami. And the two, both Kosar and Flutie combined for over 900 yards passing that night. And it was, it, was a, it was a bit of a rainy night as well, and still those two went crazy. And then the Hail Mary really put Flutie into the national spotlight forever. Um, even if Flutie didn't have the NFL run, 
college football plays would go over and over, watching the guy essentially clinch the Heisman. And then Doug went to the NFL and ended up uh, back here. And uh, the rest was history. I mean, if there was ever a player tailor-made for the NFL, or for for sort of the uh, CFL, it was Doug Flutie. Between the mobility and just the the pure success of being able to take advantage of the... uh, uh, of the rules. Uh, we've had trouble uh, connecting with Paul Masati. Paul, if you're around, drop me a note on Twitter or a, a, a private message me or something or get in touch with somebody from the station. I think we have the wrong number for you or if you can call in. We'll keep the Argo theme going, though. The former president of the uh, Toronto Argonauts, now working with uh, with the uh, pro tour, golf tour in Europe, Keith Pelly. Uh, was uh, was on the morning show today, and uh, he talked about the Argos competing in Toronto. You know, Michael Copeland is certainly trying to do as many different things as he possibly can. Um, but uh, and I've always said that the Toronto market is ridiculously competitive. When you think about uh, of all the CFL teams, nobody has an NBA team, a Major League Baseball team, a PGA Tour event, you know, an ATP tennis event. It goes on and on. Uh, uh, you know, an MLS team. You know, uh, mm-hmm. it, it's just it is a very, very competitive, saturated market. Well, there's no question about that. But it's just, it's just you know the, the the frustrating thing as a football fan. And you know, I'm not soccer guy, and I am envious of the way the TFC has worked because soccer fans, even though this is this is not the Premiership, this is not Barclays, this is not the Bundesliga, it's not Serie A, but people in Toronto have accepted the brand of soccer and have embraced the brand of soccer and have embraced the experience that is BMO Field. And good for them. I think that's fantastic. It's, it, I'm not a fan of the sport per se, and I'm not one of those people who holds grudges. You know, there's, There seems to be a lot of bad blood between some Argo fans and some TFC fans. I'm not part of that. And what has been frustrating as somebody who loves the sport of football at all levels, is that for whatever reason, uh, this market just hasn't accepted that brand of football. The football is really good. People will go down and watch NCAA football. People will go down and embrace a game between Ohio State and Michigan without knowing most of the people on the roster, yet at the same time, you know, not embrace this level. I just don't get it. And, and 95% of the people on the field down in the NCAA wouldn't even be invited to a camp up here. So that's been the frustrating thing uh, for a football fan. And uh, our next guest, uh, really to CFL fans, needs no introduction. Uh, he is uh, he is one of the greatest receivers in Argo history. Three great cup rings and will be part of the big celebration on Monday night as the uh, Argos get ready for the Red Blacks. The one and only Paul Masati's on the line. What's up, stranger? Hello, Paul. <laughs> Apparently somebody's on the line. Maybe it's not Paul. Maybe Paul has been kidnapped. Maybe somebody took Paul's phone and is holding it hostage while we try to get him on the uh, on the radio station. I apologize for that. They're working on it. It's, it's fun watching Narsa work on the other side of the glass. We have scrambled like Doug Flutie, to get our next guest, and it looks like it's a connection now. Are you there, Paul? I'm here. Hey, How are you, Mike? What's, what's up, stranger? Uh, just working away. What are Enjoying you doing? What are you doing now? Are you you were at uh, one of the schools in uh, in Ancaster, correct? 
Yeah, we actually, I am uh, the director of athletics at Hillfield Strathallen College uh, yeah, in Garth and Fennel here in Hamilton. Very nice. Very nice. And yeah. it, it, it's a good fit for you? It's a great fit. Awesome. Uh, we Yeah, we run 60 teams here. I was just uh, sitting down with Richard Nurse, who's running our basketball camp. So he, <laughs> so he said to say hi. So there's no brawl? Argo no and Ticat can work together? He actually brought that up. He said, tell Mike I haven't had a fight since that uh, hockey charity game. That was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> he said, Danny Webb, our equipment manager, is still in therapy because of that check he threw on him. Yeah, he, he, well, he hit pinball, which wasn't a good idea in a hockey game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I remember oh. Leon, Leon Haciano jumped over the boards quicker than... Uh, he played football. <laughs> it was funny because I was next to uh, Mike Jovanovich, the the big offensive lineman, and he and he's sitting there, and uh, uh, it was sort of next three forwards up, right? So I was yeah. next, I was the third forward up, and I, after what had just happened, I looked at him and said, "Do you want to go?" And he went, "Oh yeah." <laughs> so, <laughs> was, say hi to Richard for me. It's, I'm, I'm thrilled for his family success. It's a it's a it's a great story. Um, it is. Uh, let me ask you about uh, first of all Doug going in uh, as an all time mm-hmm. Argo. When I say Doug Flutie, because of the connection you had, what comes to mind first? Oh, just well, obviously the to me the best football player that's played in the Canadian Football League. Um, obviously, honorable mention like Pinball Clemens and a Milt Stegall and sure. Matt Dunnigan's and those names. But he definitely was uh, um, the greatest football player that played in our league. Um, he just raised the, he raised everybody's talent to another level. Uh, he made slow people like me fast. <laughs> yeah, and uh, and he just did. He just. He took what the defense gave them, uh, gave him, and he also just uh, he, he knew exactly what he was doing offense. He knew how to use all his personnel. He was just uh, an exquisite player to play with. Offensive line had uh, they had to learn how to play uh, with Doug behind them because he extended plays for so long. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, it sounds like a simple question because he was so dynamic to watch. But was it an easy chemistry between the two of you, or did you have to work hard to learn how to read a quarterback who just made stuff up on the fly? Yeah. You know what? We uh, we did have a good chemistry. Um, obviously, we worked hard regardless, but the chemistry came easy. Um, he felt uh, the key for me was that he could read my body language. He knew where I was gonna, going to go. Uh, he could just sense where I was going to go. So that uh, And that developed early. Um, there were times where you know, there was the, the primary target, for example, on a corner pattern, wasn't necessarily open. He'd come down, and I'd just find an open spot, and it just it just kind of created from there. And then we just worked together to see how how we could put what we did together into the offense. What's the damnedest thing you saw him do on a football field? Well, it's funny. I was just uh, at a Smile Zone tournament uh, that Adam Graves runs, and they uh, they honored uh, Damon Allen. There was no other quarterback that could buy time on a blitz to get the ball off. And then I also said on third and I think he's the all time leading rusher on third and one as a quarterback. <laughs> if you ever if you ever watch some of his third and ones, there was more sixty and seventy yard runs on on those plays. Uh that's that's what amazed me most. He just knew when the line was going to collapse at a certain time and he would just go around the end or he would just wait for the line to collapse and stay where he was and then scoot the other way. Uh, but it was just incredible how we could make those yards on third and one. It's funny you bring that up because I've never seen another quarterback do what he did. And, you know, most guys will just kind of put the shoulder down and barrel forward. But he just he just bounced down the line. And I've never seen it. And it, obviously people have a different skill set than he had. But um, I've never seen anybody do that subsequent to him. Yeah, he, he would. 
he would watch film and he would look for those things. He's like, well, how can I do something different? How can I take advantage? It wasn't just the same old, okay, third and one, I'm going to put my head down. He would take a ball on third and one and drop back a yard and let the line of scrimmage reestablish itself. So now he had three or four yards of space and then he would use it. And he was, he was quicker than people imagine uh, and thought. And he was a lot faster than everybody thought as well. Yeah. Paul Masati joining us, uh, Argo legendary receiver, getting ready for the reunion. When's the last time you saw most of these guys? Oh, boy. Um, well, I haven't seen Doug probably since a few games with the Bills where I went and watched him play. So it's been quite a while. Mm-hmm. i obviously seen him on TV when they've honored him on the sure. NFL Network and things like that. Um, but it's going to be great to see all these guys. Uh, I can't wait. And it's amazing how these guys have stayed in shape as Except for some of the receivers, you know, like the linemen, they lose 20 and then, yeah. or 50, and then the receivers tend to gain 20 or 50. <laughs> Are you in that category? Like, I've been, I'm pretty much the same. You know, my, my buck 80, I'm, I'm pretty stable. <laughs> nice. But, uh, I'm envious. Yeah. <laughs> I'm look, really looking forward to seeing these guys, and, and uh, hopefully some of them bring their children, and I'm sure they're, you know, they're 20 years older. I know yeah. my guys, yeah. Uh, yeah. my son Andern and my daughter Athena are now 24 and 20. Uh, 25, they're going to be there. Uh, and they're really looking forward to see Doug and Pinball and, oh, and all those other guys. Yeah. I bet. Um, you know, the 96 game was, the, the, the Grey Cup game was a classic. The 97 game, not so much. Uh, but if there's a play that's, you know, kind of emblematic of that game, it's it's you catching a ball with your crotch. Yeah. <laughs> the crotch catch. For, yeah. for, those, for those who don't remember the play, maybe you can set that up for us. Yeah, it was again. It was a typical reception that Doug and I had. Um, he was uh, he was looking to his left, and, and it all closed up, and he just rolled right. And I had broke. I was following him to the left, and when he broke back, I just kind of veered back to the to the right sideline. Mm-hmm. And he had thrown the ball right near the sideline, and the defender actually had hit me early, and it hit him in the back. The ball bounced straight up in the air, and then so when he we both went to the ground, and he got up. Uh, thinking I was on the ground, he kind of was all celebrating. The ball went up in the air while he was celebrating and landed in my lap. And I just closed my legs just in time before the nose of the ball hit the uh, hit the turf. And I, even then, I didn't know if it was a catch. But the referee was looking at me so intently and not moving, and he wasn't he wasn't doing the incomplete sign. He wasn't waving his hands. So I got up because he felt that the play was still alive. I got up and ran, and only the free safety um, kept playing. And he he happened to cut me off. But if he hadn't uh, if he hadn't kept playing, I just would have walked into the end zone. And you were the top Canadian that game. What did you get for that? <laughs> and how did you get it? Yeah, it ended up being a, a beautiful Dodge truck. And, uh, and I think Doug had planned to give me the truck regardless whether I was just the Canadian MVP or not. I think he felt that the Canadian player does so much for the league and that he really wanted to honor that part of football. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, uh, and it worked out well where he, he became MVP, uh, where he won the truck and then was, he gave that to me because I was the Canadian, uh, the Canadian MVP. So it was quite a surprise. It was an amazing gesture and uh, something I'll never forget, and probably the most common common asked question I always get. Well, besides, is pinball really that nice? It's always, do you still have the green truck? <laughs> and do you? No, no. It'd be twenty years old. It's probably a pile of rust right now. <laughs> the the other like us. <laughs> the, no kidding. Um, <laughs> the other the other thing that's neat about your career is uh, you. Th- there are a couple of 
photographs uh, in CFL history that I think are just iconic. Uh, one is Angelo Mosca winning the Grey Cup in Hamilton in his last game, and there's that shot from behind where it's silhouetted uh, just mm-hmm. so perfectly. And then there's the group of you, and there's the, you're next to Doug and next to the Grey Cup in the snow in Hamilton. Uh, mm-hmm. When you think of, when you see that picture now, um, what's your first what's your what's your first emotion? Well, just satis- just just satisfaction, satis- being satisfied that we satisfaction not even a word. You're rusty. <laughs> just yeah, I am rusty. <laughs> uh, yeah, just being so satisfied that all the work you put into it and, and being with your teammates for all those hours and to to pay off like that. Um, just what a feeling! Uh, just ex- total exhaustion at the end of a game and being able to hoist the Grey Cup. Uh, you know, Don Matthews, um, and obviously our hearts and prayers are out to uh, him and his family uh, with his passing. But he he picked five captains, and it wasn't hey if we win, he said okay you five guys are going up to get the cup afterwards. Wow! So that's all prearranged, and it, that picture of us holding up the cup it actually sits in my office on the wall in a big frame. And it took me, well, when my, my oldest son, it, he outgrew it because it was in his room and I wouldn't dare take it out of his room until yeah. he was okay with me taking it back. And then it took me three years or four years to have the guts to put it up in, a, in an office in Hamilton. So What? what? Oh, oh, just because it's Hamilton, I get it. So but you'd say it was here it in up. Hamilton. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Our maintenance staff wouldn't put it up. They refused <laughs> to put it up, so I had to put it up myself. It was all in fun. But. And that's why it took three years. You just couldn't hang a nail. Exactly. That's yeah, perfect. Exactly. Um, if so. if you don't come up to the booth at some point on uh, on Monday, I'm gonna come. I'm, I'm gonna come and uh, have somebody beat you to a pulp. You better you better make it up to the uh, you better make up to the booth at some point. <laughs> oh, for sure. Okay, I will definitely make it up there. It'd awesome. And if I don't you. see you, um, have a great time. I know this is this is going to be a blast for everybody involved, and certainly well deserved. And uh, thanks so much for joining us, Paul. It's been way too long between uh, between conversations. Yep, can't wait to see you. You're a, you're a big part of the Argonauts and the CFL, and you know what? Your voice is a part of what, everything that we do. I appreciate that very much. Thank you, Paul. Okay. That, that is Paul Masati joining us, uh, the great 88 for the Toronto Argonauts, and uh, just such a big part. Three great cup rings, and uh, yeah, a guy catches the football with his crotch. I mean, hey, should be in the hall. When we come back, more to come. We'll uh, continue getting ready for the Scott MacArthur Show, which comes your way at 1 o'clock here on TSN 1050. Twelve fifty one. It is Toronto today. Hogan in for Wheeler on TSN ten fifty. Our thanks to Paul Masadi for joining us a little bit earlier on, just a few moments ago. Uh, also on the show today, Israel Fair from the Athletic TO talking baseball. Uh, Jay Jaffe has a new book out about uh, Cooperstown, the Cooperstown casebook, basically looking at who should be in the hall that isn't, and who should be out of the hall that is. That comes out next week. Jay, of course, with the Sports Illustrated. He joined us a little bit earlier on. Mark Zacchino from Golf Talk Canada uh, joined us uh, a little bit earlier on as well. The Golf Insider brought to you by the Ontario Subaru dealers. And uh, Kerry Kaplan joined us as well, the president and GM of the Brampton Beast. As uh, part of the hockey team is for sale. The ECHL team, the uh, the affiliate of the Montreal Canadiens, uh, that was an interesting conversation. Um, Brampton has obviously bought in, and if I, I will admit, when uh, whenever a team that's not a big four sport comes to town, I always wonder if there's going to be any success. 
And I thought, you know, having been to OHL games in Brampton, uh, even when they had, you know, some spectacular players on the team, uh, didn't draw all that well. And I was, I, I, I was hopeful that this minor league team would work, and it has. I'm getting over three thousand a game for minor league hockey in this market. I think that's that's pretty damn good. Um, and they've also got Brampton to buy in, and council voted overwhelmingly a year ago to give them uh, a million and a half bucks over three years. And and Bra- the the beast have been very proactive of getting out in the community and. Uh, I know that's what they have to do. If if you're not number one, you have to try harder. And I know, uh, obviously, doing a lot of work with the Argos, I know how hard they work with their anti-bullying programs and going into schools on a, on a on a really regular basis. I, I would hate to count up the mandates that they go in because it would be a lot of counting. Uh, so I'm really happy when I see a story like that begin to work out. Um, the the big question of the, oh by the way Joe Narsa is here and he said he had a surprise for me at the end of the show uh, about something that's coming up tomorrow. What's coming up tomorrow on the show, Joe? That it's going to that it's going to excite me. Well, tomorrow at twelve fifteen, we're going to have a couple guests from Discovery Network. Shark Week. Shark Week. Come my on. Friend. Yes. Really? Yes. You have guests talking Shark Week tomorrow. I do. Come on. And not because I'm just like self-absorbed which i am but i also love shark week but how can you not but there's a sports angle which is michael phelps (laughs) will be trying to outswim a shark you know how to outswim a shark if it's a great white and it's catching up on you that's how you outswim a shark fear is the best motivator for any athlete i heard you can punch a shark in the nose that's what you're supposed to do if a shark is coming up, you poke it in the eye or you punch it in the nose because of all, that's where the sensors are. So that, that, that's what you do. Should you be attacked? My wife and I are, are, are kind of, you know... Uh, shark obs- punchers? Yeah, well, not shark punchers, but we're <laughs> obsessed by sharks. So Shark Week for us is like the most wonderful time of the year. We did a vacation based around Cape Cod when the sharks were going. There's a, there's a, a place at the end of the Cape uh, sort of the southeast tip, called Chatham, Massachusetts. And there there are huge sandbanks off shore, and there is an untapped seal population because the seal is a protected species. You know what that means to a shark? Smorgasbord. All of those seals all together in perfect temperature water. So it started a few years ago where there were a couple of great whites that were coming into the area and staying for, the, for a month or so. And I think last year they tagged over 50 or, or tagged or spotted or, or got pings from tags from over 50 great whites in the area at the same time. So Chatham, Massachusetts, nice little town on Cape Cod, uh, has been sort of uh, ground zero for great white sharks in North America. See, I know way too much about this stuff, but we went down to Chatham around that time. We went over to Martha's Vineyard where they filmed Jaws, where the, uh, the town of Amity was based in Edgartown. Saw some of, the, uh, some of the props and some of the scenes and some of, the, some of that area. So it was, it was neat. But, yeah, it's a, it's a big part. So, so who's, do you know who's coming on? Or have they provided us the guests yet? Yes, I do, actually. Just give me one second. got to pull that up for you. Okay. But Shark Week starts Sunday night on Discovery Canada. So it will be host... Dan Riskin. Nice. And Zaya Tom. Hey! hey! Wow. Good job, Joe. You finally Some contributed. Some big sharks in the pond. For huh? the first time. We have to. Are we against the clock? 
seconds. Okay. For 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 the first time, Joe, I'm really happy to be working with you. Well, thank you. <laughs> it only took a year and a bit, but we got there. Nicely done. Know your host. Very key part of being a producer. That's our producer, Joe Narso. See, I'm really looking forward to this tomorrow. Not like I didn't look forward to today's show, but Shark Week? Come on. Screws Nasty, thank you as well. Scotty Mack up next here on TSN 1050.